Welcome to Lumpin' Week and Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on WLPN. This week, Lumpin' Radio talked with two education researchers about black flight from Chicago, learned about a nonprofit that aims to get kids out of the hood, and heard from two activists trying to change an impoverished town one meal at a time. All this plus the Trump Diaries and a live performance in Studio B from the Chandeliers, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for November 17, 2017. Radio Free chatted with Chef Annan Stewart with Cody Trannell and Noah Hackworth from My Block, My Hood, My City about the program's work in Chicago. Hackworth and Stewart talked about growing up in South Shore and how exploring the city can give underprivileged kids new opportunities. Radio Free with John Daly and Jamie Trecker airs every Tuesday drive time at 4 p.m. Welcome back to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpen Radio. This is John Daly, and we are coming to you live from the community of the future. We want to talk about an event happening this Friday at the Co-Prosperity Sphere. We are joined by the folks from my block, my hood, my city. And we're talking to Anan and Noah and Cody about the gumbo battle that is happening on Friday. Welcome, guys. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you for joining us. Anan, why don't you start off by telling us, you, of course, uh, work down at Kemsky's as well. You're a chef. And you came to us with uh, the idea of having this battle. So what's up with this? So I want to uh, just kind of give back to my community. I, um, I volunteer as well, and I, I looked at I looked for an opportunity where I'm at to do so, and mm-hmm. that's why I came to uh, host this gumbo battle. Were you did you were you involved with the program beforehand, or just as a volunteer? No, it it was just volunteer. Mm-hmm. I work volunteer work, and um, I actually seen these guys in Wicker Park when I used to work down there, and um, that's the first thing that caught my eye. And then uh, Obama's speech. When uh, Jamal had the kids up there and uh, the people with tickets would just voluntarily give them to the kids. And with that being said, man, I had to do something, you know, to, to help these guys out. Right? And, Cody, you're the COO of, of My Block, My Hood, My City, right? Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you guys do? Yeah, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we focus on exposure. So we take kids from under-resourced neighborhoods and we expose them to new careers, communities, cuisines, and cultures. Okay, cool. Very cool. So uh, one of the things I read you guys do is you try to take kids, is it like on field trips or try to get them out of the city or what's the scoop of that? Yeah. So uh, we call them explorations because they're a little bit more in depth than field trips, but we will take them potentially um, all around Chicago to explore a new community, maybe a company, um, and really get hands-on skills. So they'll learn about new careers. What would it be like to work in that career for a day? Um, that type of thing, as well as trying different cuisines from all different sorts of cultures. And how did you get involved with this? Um, so I met Jamal about two years ago. Um, and just from that, if you, if you ever meet Jamal, you'll know that he is a very inspiring individual. He started the program just himself, picking up kids and saying, I want to take you and show you more. Um, and from that, I said, let me join in and help out in any way I can. And um, came in full time about a year ago now. And it's Jamal Cole, right? Is that yes, correct? Jamal so and Jamal, am I correct? And he's a, I know he's a number of awards, but what can you fill us in a little bit for people that don't know? What what does he do in the city? Uh, yeah. So Jamal, like I said, is the founder. Um, he really started out. Uh, he was volunteering at Cook County Jail. He's an author. He's written five books now, um, and they asked him to come speak to some of the um, teens there in the jail. And what he realized from 
doing that is he ended up learning a lot more than what he thought he was going to, you know, he thought he was going to go and impart knowledge and he ended up receiving a lot of knowledge from those teens. But one of the big things he learned is a lot of the kids would always talk about, you know, my block is this, my, you know, my hood is this. And they would talk about what it was like on their block or in their hood and what, you know, life was like, what life outcomes were for people. But he kept asking, what about your city? Have you ever been downtown? Have you ever been to the lake? Asked about all these different communities. And they had, you know, a, a lot of different excuses for why they had never been there. Um, and he thought this was such a tragedy. And he thought, if I can take some of these kids to, you know, to see downtown, to see all of these different places that all the different assets that Chicago has to offer, could that change the trajectory of their life? Would they not be in this deal had they seen more of Chicago? Can you introduce our, our listeners quickly to Noah? Yes, yes. I'd like to introduce Noah. Um, he was one of our first explorers. He has now graduated the program, and he can tell you a little bit about his experience. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So you've actually done some of these explorations. What What was one of your first experiences? Um, my first experience, I remember Jamal hit me up. This was uh, the year 2013. I was 17 years old, and we he hit me up and said, Hey, Noah, you want to go to Wicker Park? I was like, what? For what? It's Saturday, man. <laughs> I'm trying to sleep in and then go party later. And he said, oh, no, it's, it's on me. Everything's on me. Just come on. I was like, okay. And so we went to this pizza place. I just I forgot the name of it, but, man, they were like literally 12-foot-inch slices of pizza. <laughs> And I was like, where did you find this place, man? Like, And then he was like, oh, you know, I, I'm travel. I'm always going all over the city. And I was like, man, I need to start doing this more. And so he kept bringing me back for exploration after exploration. And uh, my favorite exploration was the uh, advertisement agency we visited because at that time I was trying to major in marketing. And so it was this advertisement agency downtown called How Us Worldwide. And I was for sure the one asking the most questions, trying to network with everybody. And uh, I actually uh, pulled the director of social media marketing over and said, hey, can I get your information? This is what I want to do. And um, can I shadow you for a day? And then he gave me his information, but he didn't think I was serious. And then I called him a couple of days later and said, hey, what date is good for you and what time? Because I'm going to try and get get out of school a little early to come and shout at you. And he said, oh, you were serious. I was like, yeah, I'm, I always try to do what I say. He said, oh, OK, that's good. And so we set up a date. And then I went there, and, the man, it was so cool. He in, introduced me to everybody, all his coworkers. He introduced me to his boss. And I got to sit in, sit, excuse me, I got to sit in on a meeting with PlayStation. Very cool. And, and um, they were, <laughs> I was just in the corner taking notes, and then they had a, they asked me a question. I was like, what? No, 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 I'm just here to put an experience. <laughs> And they said, well, you're young, so what do you think we should do? And then I put my, gave my input, and then they said they'd actually considered it. Wow. And so that was, I was like, dang, this, you, who else you guys market for? He said, oh, Apple. And said, I'm like, wow, this is, what I, this is what I need to start doing. I need to start doing this more and networking with people like this. I had a question for, for you, Cody. What are kind of the costs to take one kid on an exploration trip? 
just so people know. Um, yeah, so our kids participate in the program for an entire school year, okay. um, and they get to go on at least 10 explorations within the school year. Um, so for them to participate for an entire school year, it costs about $2,000 per student. And that covers the students get apparel. We have a lot of Madlock Mahood, my city apparel. They get that. They get dinner with every exploration. Um, and like I said, they get to experience a lot of new opportunities. They'll do a lot of different activities and meet a whole network of people. That's pretty cheap for, for something so intensive. Did you guys feel that the city was just kind of the confines of your neighborhood? And I ask this because it's a it's a very Chicago thing. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. obviously grow up in Chicago. I moved here. Mm-hmm. But when I moved here, I felt that it was very neighborhoody. And I, I don't think I realized, uh, frankly, and this is my own bad, how uh, for, I didn't know how segregated the city was, first of all, before I moved here. Because <laughs> yeah. it was not something that you would people in New York talked about or anything. Mm-hmm. But second, I didn't realize how many people didn't leave their neighborhoods. I mean, I see this in Bridgeport, something we've talked about. There are people in Bridgeport who have never left Bridgeport. But I wondered, you know, obviously the South Shore um, – has its troubles, as you know, other yeah. places in Chicago do. Uh, we should be honest about that. But did you guys ever feel like you you couldn't leave South Shore? That like the border of that was kind of circumscribed for you guys? Well, uh, I don't. I never really believed that I couldn't leave. It was more so the fact that every every day I faced the same things, right? Every single day, and to be around that, you really become a product of your environment. You really do. It's, it's really no way around it. I'm being honest, as, as I told you before. Um, but luckily, you do get a window, if you're lucky. You And, and to see a different p- part of the city and how it works and operates is 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 mind-blowing. Especially when you, <clears throat> excuse me, from the south side, you, you, you see... Uh, <laughs> You, you see people sell loose cigarettes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you see crackheads. You see alcoholics. You see wild things. You you really see these things, right? And if you got if if, if there's a kid like six years old, he he grows up and he sees all this, these things, right? Do you expect this kid to do well up north like that? Do you do you expect him to really know what's going on around him? No, and and it won't happen like that. It, it takes programs like this to bring them out of that, you know, experience something different. That, that, that's, um, I don't know, that's my views on it. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, so when I was a kid, I wasn't even allowed. I couldn't even go outside and play. <laughs> uh, my mom w- was not going to let that happen. And so um, I didn't start going outside till I till like, my 14, 14 years old. And um, I always try to, you know, pick. My route, if I needed to go to the store or one thing, you know, it's crazy about South Shore. South Shore, South Shore doesn't have a lot of like restaurants or no. or um, or grocery stores to go to. It's like it's a gyro place. All <laughs> <laughs> it's a gyro place on like every corner or or like a little convenience store. Beauty, beauty supplies, yeah, beauty supplies <laughs> and nail sal- yep. uh, salons and whatnot. But um, I never felt like I couldn't leave. It's just okay. Am I willing to to get out of my comfort zone? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what me, me and Jamal uh, talked about that a lot. And um, you know, he he may inspire me to try different things and um, get out of my comfort zone. So, but yeah, it's pretty much. L- let me put it like this. Um. If you have some milk and you leave it on the counter 
for a day, it, it'll most likely spoil. But if you have some milk and you put it in the refrigerator, it'll last at least a week. The point is, it's not the milk's fault. It's where the milk, it's where the where it breeds, the environment in which it breeds in. That depends on how long it's going to last. spoke with UIC professors Josh Rudinsky and David Stovall from Chicagoland Researchers and Advocates for Transformative Education, or CREATE. CREATE is a network of education researchers from area universities, and the Klonskys discuss school closings, black flight, and the problems in Chicago education. Hitting Left airs every Friday at 11 a.m. And on that note, I want to reintroduce our guests, uh, both uh, guys who can appreciate who are on the freedom train, Dave Stovall and Josh Radinsky, uh, teaching at uh, my alma mater, uh, UIC. And uh, I dropped out of there. <laughs> well, you dropped out of a lot of schools, haven't you, Fred? Yeah, yeah. Proud. I'm a proud dropout. No, well, I got my I got my undergraduate degree there. I got my master's degree there, and quit in the middle of a doctoral program. I'm, yeah, I'm one of the many. Uh, ABDs out there, and I got my doctorate there, and I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. You've always been competitive in that way, yeah. <laughs> with your younger brother, it's okay. Good for you. Yeah, you're the first in our family to have a doctor, and we're proud. And the, we're proud of you. Yeah, but not necessarily the kind of doctor that <laughs> yeah. helps anybody. But no, well, uh, and I'll tell you, getting that doctorate really, uh, really. Improved my financial status. <laughs> well, made, me a, made me a wealthy man today. These guys are laughing. <laughs> Down I, mobile. I think, you did, <laughs> I think you did much better as a classroom teacher than. Uh, yeah. Than I certainly did. Yes, we that, have yeah. what you don't have. You know? Do, 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 do you remember in The Wizard of Oz when I think it was a Tin Man who had no brain and he and and, Dar- and Dorothy said, "Well, Wait, now where are you have going a, with this, Fred?" Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you okay. because what the Tin Man didn't have. Was a teachers union? No. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a heart. No, well, no, that was the lion. Whatever. What I had, what you didn't have. Well, was, I, was collective bargaining and a contract. Well, so, I've, I've been at a certain and a pension. No, I've, you, well, you do. I've been that. working lately trying to organize uh, uh, adjuncts mm. into a union. Yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, Good that's work. one of the reasons I'm currently unemployed. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I've got some, I got some prospects. Anyway, uh, <laughs> welcome back, uh, Dave and Josh. Thank you. Uh, we've been talking about create a um, group of researchers. Uh, hopefully, uh, not just uh, those in academia, but also in community among parents, etc. Uh, doing a lot of research on Chicago public schools. Uh, uh, speaking of research on Chicago public schools, I just happened to read a study coming out of Stanford University, which uh, 
said that uh, CPS at Chicago Public Schools now uh, had the highest uh, growth rate in terms of test scores of any district in the nation. Uh, you know, and they compared it to back in the day when former Secretary of Education William Bennett came out here and said Chicago was the worst mm -hmm. school district in the nation. Mm -hmm. And uh, my thinking is, just from being around the schools for so many years, which I've been, uh, Bennett was probably wrong then. We probably weren't the worst, and mm -hmm. we're probably not the best now. But mm -hmm. you guys, have, have you looked at any of this research, and what, what's your take on it? It's a dangerous discourse. This dis discourse about fastest growth rate in Chicago is dangerous to our schools and to our communities. Extremely dangerous. Why? That seems like it would be great news. It would seem like it. Yeah. I mean, this is all about, to Josh's point, this is all about how data is counted. Yes. And, this, and the way, so if, for example, for your listeners, if I was at 39%, now I'm at 53%, and I have this now, what, 14-point gain, you know, that's 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 a vast increase, not necessarily an improvement. It's just an increase on who actually got what particular scores. And that's that's not an increases in test score data is not a sign of improvement. And I think that becomes important with the framing, because that that report, quite honestly, reads like propaganda in terms of how that how the data is counted who actually is looking at that data and what are they looking at from this rubric of folks of school districts across the country. So as soon as I saw that, I, first thing is like, what are they counting? I want to I add to what David's saying because Dave yeah. points out that how the data is counted uh, makes a lot of difference in the story that you tell. But it's also how the data is generated. How do you generate higher test scores in Chicago public schools? What's been the price? So I, I think especially, about Especially dramatic increases in just a think, short think, period of time. You know, I would yeah. compare it to somebody who goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you have dangerously low blood pressure. Your blood pressure is dangerously low. You're in trouble. You have to get in better shape. And you pump them full of stuff to make their blood pressure rise. And this is what we've been doing with test scores in Chicago. We have take, tried to get reading and math scores pumped up by artificially stimulating the performance on these bubble tests. And anyone who, I'm a social studies teacher, Dave is a social studies teacher, walk into an elementary school classroom anywhere in Chicago and ask them, what are you guys doing in social studies right now? Just find out. Social studies has been eviscerated by this focus on test scores. And it's just one example among many. And we mm. can talk about music and art, but uh, we, we, even science. Mm. So that what, we've, what we see here is an experiment, many experiments happening in Chicago public schools, but it's an experiment in jacking up test scores. Teachers who love their kids and teach their hearts out every day are put into this straitjacket of test prep. And, you know, there, there are also wonderful improvements happening in schools all over the city. And Dave and I know a lot of the teachers involved in that work, administrators involved in that work. I don't want to minimize the good work that people are doing. But what you see with the Stanford test is an artificial attempt to create test scores that can make an argument for the policies that, uh, uh, that Daly Jr. And, and Rahm Emanuel after him have been pursuing uh, in privatizing schools. Well, this is the danger of that kind of a report without some counter voice. And to you all's point, there's actually a community-based researcher uh, who's now the president of the Principals Union who yes. pointed this out two That's years right. ago That's with right. Troy LaRavier. Yes. Like he, pointed this, he pointed this out two years ago and saying the way the data is counted and generated now brings another set of questions that these reports aren't even scraping at at the surface. Right. So this thing around really 
thinking about how this stuff is being framed to put forward these new agendas to further eviscerate uh, what we know as public education. But it's very, it's very seductive data. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, 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 like, for example, I mean, in, in this week since the, since the report came out, um, uh, even, even the uh, people in the CTU who I, uh, who I love and, and, and glad that they're, they're running things, uh, kind of take, take credit in, in, in some ways for this shows we have good teachers or this uh, and, a, and, a, and it's not untrue. It's and, not untrue. And it's not untrue, but that's right. not but the reason why. Yeah, that's not narrative. evidence. That's, that's not the evidence. What's that, the big right. story? And that's not the evidence. But right. what's the big story that gets told with those data? And it's a story about how reform is working. Okay. And yeah. the story that well, reform is working that's is a That's exactly lot what Chicago. the Stanford study you said. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it didn't give any credit at all to teachers. Yep. It said this is a result of the policies no, coming out puff, of the top a of the district. Puff, puff you know. piece. It's a yeah, puff, yeah. Puff piece. Uh, uh, th- there's an interesting, there's another study that Paul Zavikowski and Steve Tozer and some people at UIC did looking at CPS compared to the rest of the state of Illinois. And one of the things that they found, so they also had positive things to say about CPS, but that the state, because of the increasing poverty, uh, especially in rural Illinois, but throughout the state of Illinois, increasing poverty, more and more kids in, in K-12 are, are kids in poverty. And that as the number of kids in poverty around the state more approximates what Chicago has had for decades of number of kids in poverty, you see Chicago doing better teaching kids who are living in poverty than the rest of the state of Illinois. So it's sort of an acknowledgement of the, of the work that's been done in Chicago, which has been trashed for all these years, constructed as racial achievement gaps and all of these things. That, that, you know, the effects of poverty on learning are, are uh, you know, uh, part of the conversation. This is, this is what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, Fred and I have been talking a lot about the demographic changes here in Chicago and in Illinois. I mean, we've lost hundreds of thousands of uh, black people yes. and poor people from the city and from the state of Illinois, and, uh, but especially from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And... I, I was thinking that uh, when you when you lose so many thousands of people from CPS, especially, we're down from five thousand to three thousand and something, three hundred thousand something kids from mm-hmm. five hundred thousand. Uh, yes, uh, you're losing so many, a lot of your poorest and and therefore lowest scoring kids, and isn't that going to have an impact on raising test scores? It's going to drastically impact the data, right? But even but and even with that. To Josh's point, is still how this thing is generated because the other thing that what happens is and what we know about test scores and how it works nationally. So when a young person is taking a particular test and they're drilled and drilled and drilled, they see these gradual increases. Then those increases peak, right, and they flatten out. And then what test-making companies do is create another test to now rev up that you can now further coach young folks into. So we're asking a question. We're conflating test taking with learning. Right. And I think that becomes that becomes the problem. And this thing around looking at Chicago and seeing how many. So 200. So between 2000 and 2010, Chicago lost 200,000 people. Residents, 178,000 were black. You kick that up to 2017, it's 250,000 black people, right? So now this thing around looking at that space, so if you've removed the folks who are struggling, why wouldn't you have an increase? Because I can bet my house that when, if we looked at that Stanford data and the, the window that they look at will be that same window where Chicago lost But CPS population. is still a, it, kids in CPS are still predominantly poor 
poor. Our, our system mm-hmm. is not is, is not a system that serves predominantly wealthy students. But to Josh's point, when you lose the poorest, yeah. right? And I think that becomes important, right? When you lose the poorest students, now you get that little kick up because now it's these incremental changes that are now recorded as improvements, but actually they just change the grouping of students. And it's something I've heard Dave talk about before and he's written about is that when you, when you look at these data and try to figure out what story they tell, the fact of the loss of hundreds of thousands of black people from Chicago over the last two decades is not a coincidence. It is the result of policy that has served to create circumstances that have driven black people out of Chicago for very good reason. When you look at Chicago public schools and, and the, the, uh, there's a wonderful report out from uh, Institute of Research on Race and Public Policy called The Tale of Three Cities. And it really looks at black, brown, and white in CPS, in in Chicago, in terms of uh, uh, policing and justice, in terms of housing. And you see all of these public policies that seem focused on driving black people out of the city. So that this is what you're seeing here is not a coincidence. It's the result of policy decisions. It's not just a result of people voting with their feet. They're voting with their feet for a reason. When you destroy public housing, when you close public schools almost exclusively in black communities, Black people leave the city, and then they, get, they take that as a reason to close. What? I've heard Barbara Bird Bennett take that as a reason to close more. This week on The Trump Diaries, justice is considering a politically motivated prosecution of Hillary Clinton. An Alabama Senate candidate is revealed as a child molester, yet many conservatives defend him. Democrats wipe out Republicans in off-year elections, and the Republican tax bill is revealed as a way to entrench a hereditary oligarchy in America. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 293, November 8th. It is now one year since the United States woke up to the fact that Trump won the election. Syria joined the Paris Climate Accords today, leaving the United States as the only nation to stand outside of the global compact. Trump believes the accords are, quote, a job killer, and that global warming is a Chinese hoax. Democrats routed Republican candidates in off-year elections seizing the governorships of Virginia and New Jersey and electing officials up and down the ballot in what many called an alarming wipeout for GOP candidates. Ralph Northam beat Ed Gillespie in a closely watched election in which Gillespie ran on Trump themes in Virginia. Shortly after Gillespie lost, Trump tweeted that Gillespie, quote, did not embrace me or what I stand for. Virginia's most socially conservative state lawmaker was also ousted from office by Danica Rem, who will be one of the nation's first openly transgender elected officials. Rem won against a 13-term incumbent who called himself Virginia's, quote, chief homophobe and refused to debate her. Rem won handily and refused to criticize her former opponent, noting that, quote, Bob is one of my constituents. I don't attack my constituents. Also in a move seen as a referendum on Obamacare, Maine voters approved a ballot measure to expand Medicaid coverage. Some 80,000 adults will qualify for health care under the expansion. Maine will also be the 32nd state to expand the program, which Governor Paul LePage immediately moved to foil by claiming he would not obey the results of the ballot unless, quote, the legislature fully funded it. And Trump told CIA Director Mike Pompeo to meet with a former intelligence officer who claimed the DNC emails were leaked, not hacked. Pompeo met last month with William Binney, who has been described as a conspiracy theorist and a Russian apologist. The intelligence community has described Putin's influence campaign with Trump calling the report fake news. And Trump stunned 12 Senate Democrats by claiming he would, quote, get killed financially by the Republican tax bill in an attempt to increase Democratic support by claiming the bill would hurt wealthy taxpayers like himself. This is false. Trump wants Democrats to support repealing the estate tax because, quote, they need to give something to rich people, people in the room at the time said. The current Republican bill overwhelmingly favors the ultra-wealthy and people like the Trump family. 
and the Justice Department told AT&T and Time Warner to sell Turner Broadcasting, the group of cable channels that includes CNN, if they want regulatory approval for the company's pending vertical $85.4 billion merger. The CEO of AT&T has refused to do so. Trump has repeatedly criticized CNN's aggressive coverage of his administration. The demand is likely to result in a court challenge from AT&T and Time Warner. And ABC reports that the State Department staff is being depleted at a dizzying speed. Since January, the State Department has lost 60% of its career ambassadors, 42% of its career ministers, and 15% of its minister counselors. Trump has said the State Department is, quote, not needed because the USA, quote, has me. Day 294, November 9th. In a speech today in Asia, Trump said, quote, I don't blame China for taking advantage of the U.S. with its, quote, very one-sided and unfair trade deals. Trump blamed past U.S. administrations for, quote, having it allowed to get so far out of kilter. The comments were made during a joint appearance with President Xi in Beijing. Trump added, after all, who can blame a country for being able to take advantage of another country for benefit of their citizens? I give China great credit. More than 600,000 people signed up last week for health insurance under the Affordable Care Act. Of that number, nearly 140,000 of them, or 23%, were new to the marketplace. The numbers mark the biggest start to open enrollment ever and prove that Trump's assertion the marketplaces were collapsing was a lie. And the main power line that serves the northern half of Puerto Rico has failed, knocking out electricity and running water. The island was only at 18% of power capacity when the line collapsed. Puerto Rico continues to struggle in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Trump's response to the island has been roundly criticized as ineffective. And Trump's bodyguard testified that the Russians offered to, quote, send five women to Trump's hotel room in Moscow. Keith Schiller said, quote, we don't do that type of stuff. The comments came as Schiller disputed the allegations made in the Steele dossier that describes Trump as having an encounter with prostitutes at the hotel during the 2013 Miss Universe pageant. Schiller testified that Trump went to bed alone and that he stood outside the room for a time before going to bed. He could not say for sure what happened during the remainder of the night. And former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers charged that current Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin is making, quote, irresponsible economic assessments of the administration's tax plan and acting as a sycophant to Trump. I'm not aware of so irresponsible an estimate coming from a Treasury Secretary in the last 50 years, Summers said. And Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore denied an explosive report in the Washington Post that he made sexual advances on a girl who was 14, claiming he does not know the women and the allegations are politically motivated. However, in a radio interview with Fox's Sean Hannity, he admitted he knew the other women who told the Post he had also preyed on them. Key Republicans deserted Moore with the GOP pulling a fundraising vehicle for his candidacy out while acknowledging they have little power to force him from the race. Republicans are exploring ways to keep Moore from being seated in the Senate should he win. Moore's candidacy was advanced by Steve Bannon. And Trump's Voter Fraud Commission was sued today by one of its own members. Matt Dunlap, a Democrat, filed a suit claiming he has been effectively frozen out of his activities. And a Wisconsin lawmaker said all women should be forced to give birth in order to grow the labor market. Republican Scott Allen said on the floor, quote, labor force shortages are tied to population declines. Labor force shortages are a limiting factor in economic growth, and limited economic growth poses a problem when government tries to pay for public services and infrastructure. In spite of this, ironically, the Democrats continue their effort to support the abortion industry. Day 295, November 10th. A new nonpartisan analysis of the Senate Republican tax bill finds it would raise taxes in the middle class to give the very wealthy and corporations a tax cut. The legislation, which Republicans are trying to quickly pass before Thanksgiving without Democratic votes, would raise taxes on the average American family by $2,000. The richest households in America would get enormous cuts. Republicans are feeling major pressure to pass any legislation at all from their wealthy donors, with a major donor reportedly telling a key member of the House, quote, 
get it done or don't ever call me again. And an Alabama state official cited the Bible to defend Senate candidate Roy Moore against sexual assault allegations of a 14-year-old girl. Alabama State Auditor Jim Ziegler, a Republican, dismissed the charges, telling the Washington Examiner their relationship would be akin to that of Joseph and Mary. Take Joseph and Mary. Mary was a teenager and Joseph was an adult carpenter. They became parents of Jesus. There's nothing immoral or illegal here, maybe just a little bit unusual. In the Bible, Mary was actually impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and 14 is not the age of consent in the state of Alabama. Trump's White House also moved cast doubt on Moore's accusers. Quote, like most Americans, the president believes we cannot allow a mere allegation, in this case one from many years ago, to destroy a person's life, said Sarah Huckabee Sanders. However, the president also believes that if these allegations are true, Judge Moore will do the right thing and step aside. Robert Mueller is investigating Michael Flynn's role in a plan to extradite a Muslim cleric in the United States and deliver him to Turkey in return for $15 million. The arrangement seems to have violated multiple federal laws. Also, Mueller's team is investigating a meeting between Michael Flynn and a pro-Russia congressman. The meeting between Dana Rohrbacher and Flynn took place in Washington on September 20, 2016, while Flynn was an advisor to Trump's campaign. It was the first known time that Mueller's investigation has touched a member of Congress. And the Senate Judiciary Committee today approved a Trump nominee for federal judgeship who has never tried a case. Brett Talley, 36, was unanimously rated as not qualified by the American Bar Association. He has only practiced law for three years. And as a blogger, he denounced, quote, Hillary Rotten Clinton and pledged support for the National Rifle Association. He has been approved for a lifetime appointment to the federal bench. And the AP reports that Russian trolls actively moved to deflect scandalous news about Trump on social media before last year's presidential election while amplifying criticism on the mainstream media and Hillary Clinton. Activities supporting Trump spiked on October 7th when the Access Hollywood tapes were released, and also on September 16th when Trump was challenged on his Obama birther claim. Day 296, November 11th. Trump said on Saturday he believed President Vladimir Putin was sincere in his denials of interference in the 2016 presidential elections, calling questions about Moscow's meddling a politically motivated hit job that would hinder cooperation with Russia on life-or-death issues. Trump told reporters traveling with him aboard Air Force One, quote, Putin said he didn't meddle. I asked him again. You can only ask so many times. I just asked him again. He said he absolutely did not meddle in our election. He did not do what they're saying he did. I think he's very insulted by it, which is not a good thing for our country. Trump also claimed the former leaders of three American intelligence agencies, John O'Brennan, James Clapper, and James B. Comey, were less trustworthy than Putin. I mean, give me a break. They're political hacks, Trump said. You have Brennan, you have Clapper, and you have Comey. Comey's proven now to be a liar and he's proven to be a leaker, so you look at that. And you have President Putin very strongly, vehemently says he had nothing to do with that. And Carrier, the HVAC manufacturer that had planned to move its operations to Mexico before Trump staged a much-heralded intervention, is gearing up for a final round of layoffs. Less than four months after it laid off nearly 340 employees at its Indianapolis, Indiana factory, Carrier said that 215 employees will be terminated on January 11th. Day 297, November 12th. Two former U.S. intelligence chiefs have said Trump poses, quote, a peril to the United States because, quote, he's being played by Russia. The statements by former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper and former CIA Director John Brennan came after Trump said he believed Putin's denials of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Trump also called the two men political hacks. Day 298, November 13th. A fifth woman has now described an attempted sexual assault when she was a teenager by Alabama candidate Roy Moore. Beverly Young Nelson told reporters that Moore tried to force himself on her after offering her a ride home from her job as a waitress. Quote, I tried to fight him off while yelling at him to stop, she said, adding that he locked his car to prevent her escape. 
Mitch McConnell today said he, he believed the women accusing Moore of sexual misconduct and that Moore should leave the race. Moore denies allegations that he made sexual advances on a 14-year-old girl claiming it is a plot by Democrats and Republican establishment figures. Many in Alabama are still defending Moore, claiming electing a conservative is more important than the fact that he preyed on high school-age women. And Trump's attempt to pitch coal and nuclear power at the International Climate Change Meeting in Bonn backfired on Monday, drawing heckling and booing of White House officials and energy industry representatives. The White House-sponsored panel discussion was designed to promote more efficient use of coal and natural gas as well as nuclear power, but the event quickly turned into an outpouring of anger at the U.S. for pushing energy sources blamed for boosting the Earth's temperatures. The event's speakers were drowned out by chants of, liars, you are a bunch of liars. And Trump apparently appealed to President Xi Jinping of China on behalf of three basketball players from UCLA who were arrested on suspicion of shoplifting. The three, LiAngelo Ball, a freshman guard, and Cody Riley and Jalen Hill, both freshman forwards, were arrested on suspicion of taking sunglasses. Trump said, quote, what they did was unfortunate. You know, you're talking about very long prison sentences. They do not play games. Day 299, November 14th. It has been revealed that Donald Trump Jr. had multiple online conversations during the 2016 presidential campaign with WikiLeaks, the group that last year released a hack trove of Democrats' emails. Trump Jr. acknowledged in a closed-door interview with the Senate Judiciary Committee that he had corresponded with the group during the campaign. And in a worrying development, Department of Justice prosecutors are looking into whether a special counsel should be appointed to investigate Trump's political rivals, including Hillary Clinton. Justice said it would examine allegations that donations to the Clinton Foundation were tied to a 2010 decision by the Obama administration to allow a Russian nuclear agency to buy Uranium One, a company that owned access rights to uranium in the United States and other issues. Those allegations have been revealed as largely baseless, but have been whipped up by far-right outlets like Breitbart in an attempt to distract from the ongoing investigation of the Trump campaign's ties to Russia. Jeff Sessions is likely to face harsh questioning from the Senate today as a result. And the House is preparing for a vote on their tax bill Thursday with GOP whips expressing confidence they have the votes to pass it. Another new analysis of the House bill finds it would rob blue or Democratic-leaning states to help fund programs in red states. Hardest hit would be higher education programs in order to pay for what the analysis calls an attempt to entrench a hereditary oligarchy into the United States. And the New Yorker is reporting that Roy Moore was banned from an Alabama mall in the 1980s over his harassment of teenage women. Moore was also apparently barred from the local YWCA for similar reasons. In a related story, the three leading Alabama newspapers today published editorials calling on Moore to resign and labeling grossly unfit for office. Paul Ryan also called for Moore to step down. The Alabama newspapers also ran accounts of how Moore frequently dated high school girls during the 1980s. And Las Vegas casino mogul Sheldon Adelson publicly broke with Steve Bannon over his efforts to oust Republican incumbents in 2018. The Adelsons will not be supporting Steve Bannon's efforts, said a spokesman. They are supporting Mitch McConnell 100%. For anyone to infer anything otherwise is wrong. Adelson is the GOP's biggest mega donor. Day 300, November 15th. An attorney whose accounting firm helped clients avoid paying billions of dollars in taxes has been named as the interim head of the Internal Revenue Service. David Kautner used a tax avoidance scheme to deprive the USA of $2 billion in taxes while Ernst & Young, the firm later settled with the IRS for a $123 million fine and agreed not to evade taxes. In a Washington Post-ABC News survey found that just 37% approve of Trump and 59% disapprove of the job Trump is proving. Only one-third say they believe Trump is honest or trustworthy. The Post has also reported that Trump has stepped up his lying at an alarming rate, uttering falsehoods at a rate of nine times daily. These are the Trump Diaries.
Betty Heredia welcome longtime local faves the Chandeliers into Studio B Monday for an hour-long performance and interview session. This excerpt showcases the Chandeliers' dizzying electronics, and Harry and Chris also dish on made-up religions. The Isms airs the second and fourth Monday of the month, drive time at 4 p.m. Are you still there? I hope you're enjoying the Ism show. My name is Betty Heredia, and that was Space Blood with Unintentional Manscaping. I'm playing a cassette tape, cassette, cassette tape, because this is technology 2017, and I did it in uh, in honor of my guests today, the Chandeliers, because their latest release is off cassette, right? Sure is. Yeah, and this is that's Chris and Harry. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that was passionately brutal. Music. Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, in a good way, Especially right? Especially at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. just like, ah. Yeah. It's space blood. Yeah, it's space blood. <laughs> Before that, I played LA Witch with what song was that? That would be a good thing to know. Get the lost. Song, it's the song that Betty didn't get me a t shirt from the LA Witch show. That's the, what that this was called. This is true. I didn't get you a, Yeah. I'm never going to hear the end of it. Maybe for Christmas. I'll order it and I'll get him sign it. Did you just hear my heart skip a beat? Right? I did. We all did. (laughs) Hey, the chandeliers. um, So you guys are going to be playing for us, right? Performing? Yeah, we're going to sequence some beats and some synths. Or I am, at least. Yeah, yeah. Harry is going to be playing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Harry, you're going to be playing some synths? He touches the keys, I don't. Oh, okay. How did did you guys decide on that that, uh, format? We we didn't, really. It's just, it just happened organically. Yeah, I just recognized that right now. <laughs> you guys been around for a, a while, yeah, right? kind of old. Yeah, you're yeah. not old. You're yeah, old. more a little yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> We've been around. Yeah, that's, a, been, that's a cooler yeah, you, way to you, say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. you guys raised. been around. Yeah, yeah, been around the block. <laughs> you're legends. Yeah. You're legends. I'm very honored Literally to have you guys Literally around here. the block. Like, we, yeah. we practice in... Do you? Pretty cool. Yeah. In Bridgeport? Yeah. And it's not Bridgeport, but it's like... It's Motor Row, but we're nearby. All right. Yeah. Yeah. How did you? Um, you've you have different members, right? From or yeah. has it always been the same? The same no, players. No, it's changed. Yeah. We've gone through a lot of different members. Currently, mm-hmm. there's two other members: uh, mm-hmm. Scott McGacky and Lisa Armstrong that aren't here. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're in different cities right now. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, How's that work? When you guys are recording, you just uh, yeah, you send back stuff back. We, we did a lot of the recording um, when we were all in the same spot. Oh, then, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, how it takes a while to get it released and all that. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like um, we all met kind of through Griffin mm-hmm. at, at the Shape Shop, which is where we practice, which is oh, Motoro, okay. all right. which is where he used to kind of have home base. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've been yeah, around. So that was Truck Did Stop. What was years that? Years and years ago, that was Truck Stop Records. Oh, all right. That became the Shape Shop. Oh, okay. So it's so Shape Shop is is what for our listeners that are listening is it's it like a, it's a recording studio mm-hmm. and kind of a like rehearsal space slash um, people's apartment. Oh, okay. Um, but it's sort of been uh, this sort of like artist community zone for twenty some years. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and then you said that's where you met Griffin too. Or yeah, kind of through people yeah. revolving around that space, and that's where we initially recorded yeah. our first record, and uh, then we cool moved in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's nice. That's cool to know that like that still exists. You know, that's twenty years. They usually these yeah. sort of I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that I think its days are numbered. Oh. Um, uh, <laughs> the neighborhood's changing a lot. They just built this uh, huge arena, and uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's hard like, to find parking. Uh-huh. 
yeah. really hard. Um, <laughs> the rent will be going yeah. up pretty soon. It, it always kind of is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But 20 years is a good Yeah, it's good a good run. Yeah, yeah, it's a good run. Totally. You, you think you guys will start something also? Like you personally, maybe? Yeah, you ever maybe. Think about it? Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. You're going to be playing off of your new release right now. What's, what's the title of it? Law of Fives. Law of Fives. Mm-hmm. And how'd you guys come up with that oh it's um it comes from uh discordianism Mm -hmm. which is sort of like this semi-joke uh religion that was created by excuse me uh these two guys uh in i think in san francisco greg hill and carrie thornley and uh yeah and robert anton wilson and these are all like weirdo uh sort of (laughs) counterculture writer jokester guys Uh uh uh, that i'm interested in so Uh um we just thought it was a cool title you know the uh, tattoo that Shanna has in her arm? Uh-huh. That's the Discordian apple. Oh, yeah, cool. My wife, you'll see oh, her. Oh, amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. She yeah. listens. Well, because it was She's in... listening now. She's definitely oh, great. the, yeah. the Hi, one Sarah. listener tuned in. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, because it was in is- the isms show, yeah. so I was, like, thinking of isms, and that's definitely oh, that's so great. the yeah. one, the Discordian. I was, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to be all, like, you know, self-involved. Yeah. <laughs> They worship the uh, Greek god of Why stop now, chaos. baby? <laughs> they worship, what is it? The uh, Greek god of chaos, Eris. Oh, right yeah. on. Yeah. Right on my alley. That's their goddess, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, you should check, them, check I, it out. I yeah. think so, yeah. I, Chris, I've known Chris for a while. You always, I was thinking about that today, how you always used to hit me to. We were co-workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were Dusty co-workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Chris used to, we used to close the store. Yeah, but you worked, you preferred like the computer or, orders world of the back, right? Did I? No, not really. I nope. was always trying to avoid that. I like the store. I Same. like talking okay, to people. Okay, may, maybe that's what, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I think, yeah. I liked this. No one do you liked the store, but no, everybody was always trying to run to the shipping. Yeah, because they wanted to listen to like country music or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I felt like yeah. we connected. We actually like, liked the records there and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. and like talking to people. Yeah, <laughs> the regulars. We were sociable. Yeah, fun time. Yeah, but um, I think Jamie's got to do uh, the news. Do you? I do. Yeah. Well, well, you guys are gonna play a set for us, right? Mm-hmm. For all the yeah. listeners. Yeah. Doors, yeah. yeah, and and um, and then we'll we'll be back with the chandeliers and we'll be picking their brains and, you know, stay locked in. You're listening to The Ism Show and the chandeliers are in studio right now and about to perform. This is 
The Lump and Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is edited and engineered by Logan Bay. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpen Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker, and Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com.